ready for this? I'm going to do my best turkey impression. <laughs> that was awful. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little spooky podcast about things that spook us. Just say a little bit. Things like aliens, cryptids, conspiracies. When you're a college student and you're studying at night in the library, no one's around. You're by yourself. And you just hear a child's laughter from afar. My name is Everett. And I'm Colleen. And that's never happened to me. Has that happened to you? I mean, it's been a while since I was in college, but I was at the university library. And I, there's like a basement in the library I was at. And a bunch of comfy seats to read and study in. There was just a kid laughing somewhere. Like amongst the stacks of books? Uh, like a floor above me, but I could hear it. Spooky. We're back. We're back. Happy post-Thanksgiving, everyone. We're now officially allowed to start celebrating Christmas. Uh, I was still doing the gobble-gobble. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like Thanksgiving can be celebrated year-round. Gotta be thankful. Yes. And cherish the ones you love. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we, we back and we ready. Yeah, I hope if you were in North America, you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, excuse me, Canada's Thanksgiving was like a month ago. Valid point. And I don't know when Mexico's I hope if you were in the United States, you had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I hope everyone else's Thursday was real good. Um, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are we talking about today? So I picked this topic because I specifically thought you would be interested in it. What if you're wrong and I hate it? I'll be moderately disappointed, but I, yeah, I don't know. So what is it? Lay it. Today on we're talking me. about one of the most famous spooky stories in world history. I'll this judge. story has been covered in operas, books, plays, And themes from this story are pulled out and put into practically every classic literature story that you were forced to read in your British literature class. We are talking about the ever-popular Faust legend. Oh, I was going to do this at some point. You beat me. Oh, did I? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Well, we'll see if I cover what you wanted to cover. Okay, cool. All right. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the concept of a Faust legend, I'm going to give you a quick summary of the original Faust story written in Germany sometime around the 1580s. Again, this is just a summary. There's so many interpretations of this legend, but here's a rundown of the main events of what is thought to be the original story. Johann Georg Faust is a well-known, extremely smart scholar in the early to mid-1500s. However, he's exceedingly bored and depressed with his life. He feels like he's learned everything he wanted to learn, and he was in so much despair that one day he unsuccessfully tried to kill himself. Mm -hmm. After this incident, he's like, you know what? Not going to kill myself. I'm going to stand at a crossroad and call for the devil. When the devil appears, they make a bargain. The devil will serve Faust for a set amount of years. Let's say 10. I don't know if 10 was the original amount, but that's that's like the general. Yep, 10 years. And he will bestow Faust with magical powers and all of the knowledge of the world and do his bidding. But in exchange, at the end of the 10 years, the devil's going to come back and drag his soul to the underworld to be enslaved for all eternity. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially the gist of a Faust tale. The events that lead to Faust's damnation differ in a bunch of different stories. But in the classic tales, Faust uses the power as much as he wants he makes a woman fall in love with him. There's money and power. He The whole thing. 
But as he's learning how to wield this power, the devil tries to play tricks on him and lies to him and tempts him with like unnecessary stuff that derails him from accomplishing anything. And by the end of the 10 years, Faust is not any happier for having that power because he has not accomplished anything. Anything he might have accomplished, the devil tempted him away from or tricked him out of. In the original tales, before he gets dragged to hell, he tries to plead for his soul, but it doesn't matter. He's ultimately damned for all eternity. Yeah. In other renditions, written later on, and I believe like the mid-1600s, 1700s, There are people who plead with God for his salvation, and he does ultimately get saved. But the original tales, doomed to hell. And um, he's irrevocably corrupted by the devil for preferring human knowledge to the divine. He's doomed to hell. You know what I got to say about this? Hmm. If we're to assume that the devil and God are real, why should God save you after you sign away your own soul with full knowledge? You're not tricked into doing it. Well, that's the point. I mean, that's the moral of the story. You made the decision, so now you got to— Well, right, but I'm saying the renditions where it's like God will decide right. to intervene. Like, that's that's some BS. Well, in some cases, it's other people, like uh, the woman that fell in love with Faust— dies and then pleads with God to let because it would make her happy like that sort of thing but yes no I totally agree with you I I don't know if you'll at some point get to this but I've heard a few stories a few Faust stories where you sign away your soul and then after 10 years the devil comes to collect you and then you can bargain with him again and if you get a hundred other people's souls then you can save your own I don't have that written down in my notes but there are so many variations, and I'll cover some of them. Right. So, There's other ones where, you know, when the devil comes to take your soul, you trick him back and he right. ends up not being able to take you, that sort of thing. So we'll get to those. Yeah, like Devil Went Down to Georgia, the whole fiddle story. Exactly. God, I love that song. Yeah. That song is great. Anyways, essentially the moral of a Faust story is you should never betray your own principles to achieve power. Or, like, betray everyone else or betray God, I suppose. Probably back in the 1500s, it was a God thing. I think it still is, for sure. Right. We're talking about the 15th and 16th centuries. People in Europe fully believed in magic. They believed in alchemy. They believed in demons and sorcerers. So the idea of being dragged to hell as a punishment for turning away from God was not an idea so much as a potential consequence, real-life consequence. Right, yes. So, So to us, we're like... Haha, interesting tale. But to them, they're like, this could happen to you. This is like a anti-drugs commercial you, and from the, the 90s. The, the thing is, you say that like in modern days, no one would ever believe this. But the thing is, we're two people that right. are just not keen to believe these types of things. Yes. No, you're, but you're very right. there are plenty of people that will believe that if you go to a crossroads, you can meet a demon. Like, right. Yes. And I will talk about that yeah, later. Yeah. But I guess when I say everybody, I mean me. Right. <laughs> so I suppose I should stop overgeneralizing like that. But back, I would say back then, it was more of a common belief Absolutely. that God was all powerful. If you do anything that he doesn't condone, you're getting dragged to hell and working with the devil is probably the worst thing you could do i mean think of witchcraft the witch trials they've signed their soul to the devil exactly devil's book yeah so it's like a pervasive theme throughout at least european history yeah i never thought about where it might have come from I never thought that it was just like written as an original story. I kind of thought it was like vampires, you know, like it just evolved over time. We use the phrase at a crossroads Mm -hmm. all the time. That's like in the regular English vernacular. I'm not sure if that's common in other languages, but I imagine that probably German would have a similar phrase. Probably. And Um, I think, I mean, crossroads in general, and I don't know if it stems from this original story or if it was just symbology used in the story but crossroads have always been kind of a kind of a evil mm-hmm. symbol yep i'll get to that yeah faustian now is an actual dictionary word yeah. that describes i mean it doesn't even just pertain to this particular story it describes any story 
basically involving a crossroads or making a bargain with a demon. Right. I mean, you could describe anything as Faustian, essentially. Think of all of the literature books you had to read in high school and everything your teacher was like, think of how Faustian this is. Like the great Gatsby. He signed away his soul for money. However overused these themes are now, I still love this story. There's something like super awesome about being dragged back to hell. Like when it's a good hypothetical, too, it's like, are, are you at a point where you're so desperate for something, whether it be wealth, power, health? Would you sign away your theoretical soul to get something? That's funny because that's almost word for word the sentence I had written next oh, really? to my notes. <laughs> that's really weird. I think we've been married for too long. But, I mean, aside from that, like the concept of what would make you so desperate that 10 years is worth an eternity of potential torment and pain and slavery, I suppose. But what also is cool is it's got demons. It's got secret nighttime pact making. It's got crossroads. Pitchforks and horns and fire. Yeah. Some legends have the pact sealed with a kiss. Mm Mm-hmm. Devil's kiss. Some of them just have... a a gentleman's handshake. It all depends on who's telling the story. In in some of the stories, the devil stays by your side and he comes when you call for like the whole term of the pact. Like he's essentially your slave for those 10 years. Or like a familiar. Right. But in others, the devil grants you one wish. Right. And then comes back in 10 years to remind you your time is up. Right. You're done. Can we talk about also the idea of a contract why is the devil making contracts and my assumption is if we're talking i guess what i learned in catholic school like god is all powerful mm-hmm. satan is powerful but he's not god powerful no he's a fallen angel right but still obviously has far more power than humans so what what is the deal with making a bargain? Why sign a contract? Why not just take the souls? What is I, he is he like going to be punished by God? I suppose God's not like a big fan of Satan. The, the way I've always <laughs> no, the way I've always looked at it is the reason that demons and the devil are bargaining for souls is because they are souls that they would otherwise have to wait for, or they would otherwise go to heaven. So if you're trying to get souls as almost like a currency for the final battle against, you know, evil versus good. You want more souls on your side. True. So I imagine that's probably why. Or they're just bored. I've never heard a story where something happens if the devil breaks his terms of the contract. Is there like some sort of divine legal system that would impart judgment on the devil? Does he get dragged to heaven? Yeah, that's always funny, too, because I always like, you know, the devil is like a tricky figure and we'll try and find loopholes, but he's somehow bound by a written agreement. Right. That's what's so funny to me. Like, it's a he's got so many like rules he has to follow, but also he's Satan, like the breaker of rules. It's like, it's like a gin or a genie. It's like yeah. they'll they have to do something, but they'll try and find any way to make it get shitty for it. you. Right. So it's just it's an odd concept, the concept of demons as I guess we commonly know them, like from the show Supernatural or, you know, Faust Legends. That show Supernatural has so many crossroads deals. Yes, I know. But my point, like, that's my point. It's such like a cultural phenomenon. It's like that for a lot of people, too. Right. But that's how we view demons now. Yeah. In the past, demons were not viewed the same way. And I will get into that. But I wanted to dive into the history of this legend and see how long it's actually been around. What inspired this legend? Like, was this something that somebody just came up with as a story, as like a moral to, you know, go to church and stuff? Or was this based off of something else? Sure. And I don't know. I just want to know the whole thing. So I looked into it. Here's the basic history of the story itself before we get into the juicy theories okay the first known printed version of the legend of faust is in a book that was printed in 1587 there are stories with similar themes that were written earlier there was a story written i read both in the 6th century and the 13th century so 
that's quite a big difference in time. But sure. I, let's say the, the 1200s. There was a story written in the 1200s about a saint who makes bargains with the devil in order to become a bishop. There is a Polish story that shows up in the 1580s as well. And nobody knows if that Polish story and the German story uh, like influence each other or like just evolved separately. Right. Or two separate stories. But essentially, it has very similar concepts, making a bargain with a demon and then being doomed to all eternity. I mean, my guess, Germany and Poland, uh, they weren't like super exclusive from one another and they came out around the same time. My guess is the story was just popular in both areas. Yeah, it was probably like a cultural thing at the time. And they're like, oh, we should expand on it. Right. One thing, however, we do know is that the name Faust didn't just come from someone's imagination. Johann Georg Faust was a real magician, an alchemist of the time. Did you know that? He was a real dude. Pick a card, any card. That's what I think of when I hear magician all the time. He was a sorcerer. How is that? Is that better? <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> but did you know he was real? I didn't. Oh. Okay, so the information I have about him isn't 100% solid because we're talking about the 1580s people weren't like writing everything down. So the things like the birth date and locations are up in the air, not 100%, but these are what my sources said. This is the general history of Johann Georg Faust. He was born around 1480 in the village of Nittlingen Württemberg. That sounds very German. It was. It's in <laughs> what is now Germany. Yeah. By the time he was in his late twenties, he was already well known. Like people were writing about him. One man called him a drifter and a con man who preyed on the gullible. He held a teaching position for a time at a university, but he was accused of molesting some of the male students there, so he was kicked out. And in 1509, he went to the University of Heidelberg and got a degree in divinity. After that, he moved to Krakow, 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 yeah. Poland, where he studied magic at the University of Krakow, which is awesome. Getting at the time, magic was real. I mean, it still could be, let's be honest, but like mo more people believed in magic so much so that at a regular university, you could be like, hey, teach me that magic getting Rasputin vibes from this man like a divine magician that's like is going to school and maybe molesting people too. <laughs> I mean, there's one in every generation yeah so sometime later he disappears I don't know nothing's written about him but sometimes later he shows up at the University of Erfurt in central Germany I said E-H-R-F-U-T Erfurt I, yeah I guess Let's just say that's it. If you know how it's pronounced, if we have any Germans listening to this, one, I'm so sorry. And two, tell me how it's supposed to be pronounced. Well, it's close enough. Okay. He shows up at the University of Erfurt in central Germany where he lectured about Homer. And some of his students even said that while he was lecturing, he would conjure up the heroes of Homer's stories. Like, like a hologram? Like neck romancy so working with dead spirits yes but like though it's not necessarily con up the like actual spirits or ghosts or just an image of them because i wouldn't say that's necromancy you know i don't know i just they, it was written that he was said to conjure up the heroes of homer stories i mean my guess is that the heroes of homer stories weren't always real people either so i'm not the point is he's supposed to be doing some magic shit I thought Homer stories always involved the donuts and the beer. <laughs> Those are the good Homer stories. <laughs> so at this time, he was well enough known that Martin Luther himself, the the great heretic, <laughs> I yeah, suppose. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. He himself said that Faust must have made a pact with the devil. In fact, Faust was expelled from the university when the preacher there told him he has to repent. From his evil doings. Just because they knew he was like doing magic and stuff? Like, I, he had a reputation for doing like dark magic. Shady and, shit. You know, like molesting boys, I guess. So I, you should definitely repent. 
for sure. that if yeah. you're into repenting. But allegedly, Faust did claim that he did indeed sign a pact with the devil and that he trusted the devil more than God and he refused to repent. In 1523, he visited a tavern in Leipzig where he did magic involving making wine come out of nowhere and his reputation as a super powerful magician and necromancer just grew. Because magic in general at this time and even now is said to be the work of the devil, mm -hmm. Faust was expelled from a bunch of cities just for performing magic. Okay. People were like, you witch, get out of here. He was apparently able to correctly predict certain historical events, like none of them were anything that I ever learned about. There was a bishop captured a certain city at the time, that sort of thing. Like, sure. It's predicted very, events. Very important back then. Yes. Just not very much right. so anymore. Yeah. And it wasn't like far future events. He was imprisoned for a time, and while he was in there, he showed a chaplain how to shave his beard without a razor in exchange for wine. And the chaplain brought him wine, so Faust gave him a salve to put on his face. There. That's what I was thinking, because it melted the hair and the skin off of the chaplain's face. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, Nair would totally do that. Maybe he was a magician. Maybe he was Rasputin and he could time travel. Who knows, man. Not much is known about Faust's death, but he died in 1540 or 1541. Legend says that he died somewhere near Wittenberg, but there's a bunch of different cities around Germany that claim to be the place where he died. So Sure. People claimed that they saw the devil come tear him to pieces and leave him on a dung heap with his eyes glued to a wall. So that may or may not be true. <laughs> I mean, some, maybe it was a tall tale people were telling. I'm just thinking, what's the point of gluing the eyes on the wall if everything's on the shit pile anyway? Oh, spooky. No matter how he actually died, probably not being dragged down by the devil. But you know what? Maybe. Maybe. There's this, this stories about him. Maybe that's why nothing is known about his death for sure. Because right. he was just taken in the night. Well, ultimately, his influence was so powerful that 40 years after his death, a book about the many sins of Faust was published. It was literally just a book about all the shit Faust did that people were pissed about. And then another book showed up in the 1580s called Faustbuch which told tales about Faust, the devil, and then the shenanigans that the devil put him up to. And when these works were translated to English, it eventually inspired, like, the famous renditions of the Faust legend as we know today, and essentially the story I described at the beginning. Yeah. So the Faust book basically told the story of Faust, but it didn't, I don't think it include the, included the crossroads. I think that was a later edition. But it basically said, bargain with the devil, Right. devil killed him. Okay. It seems like Faust himself had the reputation of making a pact with the devil before the official quote-unquote Faustian legends were ever even written. And he didn't seem to deny it. But if he did make a deal with the devil, where did that idea come from? We know that in the 1500s, Europe was in the grips of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. Martin Luther started branching off, particularly in Germany, in that area of Europe. Yep, yep. But the general consensus, even among Lutherans, was repent, follow God, reject the devil, and you'll go to heaven. That doesn't change over Christianity. I mean, no, that's, yeah, common core message. Yes. But the idea of making a pact with a demon to get instant gratification did not originate with the Faust stories. The concepts of demons and crossroads and bargaining for your soul are actually ancient, in fact. And to me, that kind of speaks to an inherent fear in human beings rather than like a learned one. So maybe demons are real. Wait, wait what, what do you mean an inherent fear? Like, So why, why is it like... To me, just because there are cultures... All over the world, almost every culture, in fact, actually, that's probably an exaggeration, but 
dozens and dozens of cultures across the world at all times have had stories about crossroads, have had stories about meeting demons at crossroads, and have had stories of bargaining with the devil. Okay. Like going way, 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 way back. Not just 1580s, not like from the Catholic Church stemming way back. So where does that like fear come from? What is that? I mean, if I was born and I was not taught anything, never heard the Faustian legends, it's not something that I would think of myself, you know? Yeah. So where did it come from? Like, where do these fears come from? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm just trying to think at the most base level, like in old days where it's just like dirt roads, you mm-hmm. know, for travel and trade and stuff. And you do eventually get to a crossroads. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that's a big hangout spot for like merchants and dealers, probably beggars too. So I'm just wondering if the fear of a crossroads is from that social interaction you have with people trying to steal your shit or like make a bargain with you in some way. Yeah, it totally could be it. I mean, I'm not sure, but here's what I learned about the crossroads when I was researching it. The idea of the crossroads being a scary place and a magical place or an evil place a place to summon demons. It didn't just originate in medieval Europe. It seems to span all cultures, like I said. So what is it that makes two roads crossing each other so scary to people? And if it shows up so often in human history, should we actually be afraid of them? Like if one culture is afraid and the other culture is afraid, what is it? I mean, it could just be bandits, but it could be something else. Except the spooky well, I'm I'm waiting for you to tell me. I thought you were gonna give me some examples of like old like onis or something from okay. Japan. Well, historically and cross culturally, crossroads are seen as a place that exists between worlds. Okay, no, but here's my question. I'm just going back for a second. Should we actually be afraid of demons? Like, do you know of anybody that has actually attempted to summon a demon at a crossroads? Like, have you ever heard of anybody actually doing that? I've heard, or are we all just too afraid of the legend? I mean, I've heard plenty of stories. Like real it. ones? You ever seen anyone try? Well, I've to do never it? seen anyone do it, and I don't know anyone who's done it, but I've heard famous stories of people doing it. But did they actually, or was it stories? I don't know. That's the thing. Even people who are like, I don't believe in hell. Why don't you just do it then? What are you afraid of? <laughs> I, don't get it. I don't get it. Just do it. Coin is mad (laughs) (laughs) all right sorry i that was a tangent but let's go back historically and cross-culturally crossroads are seen as a place that exists between worlds if you're standing at a crossroads you're not standing on one road or another road you're not walking in one direction or another direction you're literally in this in-between state where you are both on one road and the other road okay the concept of it being otherworldly is the exact same. For some reason, at a crossroads, you are both in the human realm and in the spiritual realm. In the same way that the roads are crossing, the worlds cross. Okay. This is just an observation of my own. But it's interesting to me because roads, and therefore the crossroads themselves, are man-made in most cases, right? Right. So how is it that they came to be intersected with the spiritual world? Like, right. did city planners know more than the rest of us average people or what? Like, do humans have the power to manipulate the spiritual world and where it might cross the human world? I just, I, that's an interesting thing to think about. Well, and also maybe just on the other side of the spectrum, Maybe whoever is in the spirit realm is just able to choose where they come in. True. So it's just the crossroads makes sense. I don't know. Yep. I also think, again, and this is just my interpretation, I don't think a crossroads always means two roads crossing. I've always heard, and I'm not sure where I heard this, like if my grandma told me this as a kid or if I read it in a book or something, that the spiritual world and the human world intersect at any meeting point so like where the sea meets the sand or where the 
forest meets the not forest, like just meeting places, intersecting places. Sure. Okay. So perhaps like in the way, way back times, that's what they meant when they said crossroads. And if that's the case and it's a naturally occurring phenomenon, then I can see the spirit world naturally connecting there, I suppose. It's just interesting to me if we're talking about actual physical roads that humans created, that somehow the spirit world interconnects in something that was man-made. I don't know. I've been thinking about that for a while. So the idea of a crossroads being a magical place goes back to ancient times. In ancient Greece, people would leave meals for the goddess Hecate at each new moon. In Roman mythology, Mercury was honored at the crossroads, which was interesting because Mercury was also known to be crafty and deceitful. So perhaps that's what carried over to medieval Europe. Obviously, the Romans weren't involved mm-hmm. in Europe. Um, the Danes also sometimes worshipped Odin at crossroads. Mm-hmm. In Anglo-Saxon times in the UK, criminals and people who died of suicide were buried at a crossroads. And I think think, yep, criminal punishment and executions were also often held at the crossroads as well. And I think the idea for that was the dead would be confused by the many roads and like not be able to return to the settlement. That's if we're talking about criminals being executed and buried. In terms of the suicide, I think it's because they weren't necessarily allowed to be buried within the settlement Mm, yeah. But that I don't know. Obviously, I am not that old. I'm just thinking with like executions, crossroads makes sense too, just because it's a meeting point from different areas and that's a public event. Yeah. So, right. Easy to get to. Yeah. In ancient Romanian belief, a demon could be summoned at a crossroads by drawing a magic circle and offering a copper coin as payment. So, that's like way closer to the Faust tale. Yeah. In the form of African magical spirituality known as hoodoo, the crossroads actually represent the rising and setting of the sun and like the overall cycle of life and death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. With the center of the crossroads being where communications between worlds can occur. Exactly the same as spiritual world crossing over with the human world. So this is a concept that spans cultures. For the Yoruba people of West Africa, the deity Eshu Alegba lives at a crossroads, and people leave that deity offerings. Okay. The customs of sacrifices and offerings left at crossroads could have been because a lot of people believed that spirits travel the highways like people do. So you'd be more likely to encounter a spirit at a crossroads. Again, I think that's interesting. Why would spirits be wandering the highways? And that's that's another legend that we hear a lot. A lot of like ghosts traveling the highways, ghosts asking for rides. The white woman, doesn't she usually yeah. stand well, on and the And that was kind of going to be my point too. Are we talking about ghosts or spirits? Because if it's ghosts, I think in this would... case, it's, it's non-mundane spiritual anything well right so i'm just saying if they're like ghosts or spirits of humans like yeah. that would make sense that they're still traveling the roads sure but like if it's a natural spirit like the spirit of a tree or something then yeah why would they be on a highway right it's just an interesting thing if you were to ask me hey where do ghosts live i wouldn't be like i-95 well they live in our house <laughs> <laughs> that's the history of crossroads that's like the general consensus I don't know farther back than that. Crossroads just seem to have always held a significance for human beings. Sure. Meeting places, crossroads. But what is it about demons then? So, like, I can see why the crossroads would bring you closer to the supernatural because the worlds intersect. But why is it that the, the beings encountered at a crossroad are always evil tricksters not always based on all the examples you gave a lot of those were not evil those were gods right but when we hear of people making deals at a crossroads it's not with like an angel it's always with a demon sure that makes sense seems like pretty much every culture has a demon or a trickster or some sort of evil malevolent spirit that wishes you harm And are these demons or the devil or whoever it is you're making the bargain with, is it a devil or is it just a trickster? 
because it also seems to me that this entity is trying to deceive you basically for its own personal gain. Right. And practically, again, every culture has myths or legends or religious beliefs that involve tricksters, whether they are gods or humans. You got Loki, you got Cocopelli, you got Prometheus, you got Maui. There's tons of them all yeah. over the place. I feel, I feel like Loki is the most well-known one right now just because of Marvel. But right. Like, yeah, yeah. Essentially, they understand the difference between right and wrong, but they don't, like, recognize the rules of society as applying to them. They, they're like, it's chaotic neutral. It's like they do what benefits them at the time. Yeah. They don't have allies and enemies. They just have themselves. Sure, yeah. Right? So, like, they could, they could screw you over. And then the next day, do something really nice for you if it benefits you. Them. Yeah. And yeah, they can realize like, hey, that it might be better if I keep this person close or something. Right. So sometimes these tricksters benefit humans. Like Prometheus stole fire and gave it to the humans. Mm-hmm. Some scholars predict that the concept of the trickster is actually one of the most ancient figures in mythology. And why is that? Why is a trickster and not like an all-powerful god the most ancient mythological being? I think that's crazy. I think it's because tricksters, in my mind, represent basic humanity. Every man for himself. Yeah, self-centered. Out out of necessity being self-centered right well self-centered but also yeah human nature i mean i do what i want as long as it benefits me everybody's like that whether like you are born like that toddlers like that like it's an animal too exactly so the stories about the tricksters would have come up because you know you're trying to explain to people why it's important to maintain social order Every man for himself is not necessarily a good plan if you are trying to live in, in a community and survive as a people. Right. At some point, you have to sacrifice things for the betterment of the group. And a trickster is not about to do that. Trickster myths where the trickster's deeds backfire are like moral lessons about misbehavior. You know, like the trickster shouldn't have done that anyways. Or it could be a moral lesson about how a powerless person, like there are some trickster tales about small deforest animals triumphing over a lion (laughs) or something. And the the moral of that story is like a powerless person can triumph over a strong one if they use their brain. Right. Here's the thing, though. The devil in the Faust legends is a trickster. I mean, he provides Faust with exactly what he asks for and no more. And then he goes about and he provides temptations and lies just to see what happens. It doesn't necessarily hurt Faust or benefit Satan because Faust is not going to break his end of the bargain. Right. His like he has no power over that. So like what benefit does the devil get from lying other than like personal enjoyment yeah i was just gonna say fun right but there doesn't seem to be any consequence for the devil for the devil's actions you know what i mean yeah he answers to no one right in the end he's triumphant he bamboozles faust drags him to hell you could consider faust to be a trickster kind of for getting the devil to do his bidding and getting whatever he wants. But he didn't actually trick the devil. He straight up told like told the devil, here are the terms of my right. bargain. So I don't you it's kind of up to interpretation. But if most legends about crossroads are contacting gods, where did a demon come into this? If people are worshiping Odin and Mercury and Hecate at a crossroads. At what point did that evolve into, like, an evil demon? Yeah. Well, just as every culture has its tricksters, most cultures also have a demon. Basically, an essentially evil being 
that has the ability to possess you and basically their only goal is to ruin everything for you. Sure. They show up in Abrahamic religions like Christianity, Judaism, Zoroastrianism, ancient Egypt, all over the place. I mean, there's plenty of myths and creatures that you could consider to be demons, even if they're not called demons. Yeah. In fact, the word demon comes from the Greek word. Daemon. Yeah. D-A-I-M-O-N. Daemon. I think it's daemon. Sure. That's sure. Um, But that didn't have any evil connotations. It was just like a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a demon as we know it. It was essentially just a trickster. Like the Japanese Shinigami. The Shinigami are spirits. They invite people towards death, but that's not necessarily because they're evil. It's just like their purpose. Yeah. It's their job. Or like a psychopomp is the word. Right. And they have rules that have to be followed. Shinigami and demons. Right. I think she, uh, the only... Okay, this is sad, uh, but my only... No, I mean, this is going to be the case for most people. Death Note is my only, yeah. like, interaction with the Shinigami, but I don't... So I don't know how accurate sure. that yeah. interpretation I, I don't is. Either, yeah. But I do believe that Shinigami have specific rules they have to follow before they can take someone... To the underworld and it's the same with like the grim reaper they yeah, can't just any yeah any death god like they do have specific rules like you can't take someone too early or too late you yeah have to be on time and i think like a lot of them you have to get them to agree to come with you to move in order to move on like right so that's the ultimate like original definition of demon just like a spirit but when christianity came over that like morally ambiguous Daemon was turned into an evil demon whose sole purpose was to drag you to hell. So maybe these evil gods were a way to explain to themselves that, like, you're not responsible for your own actions. Demons made you do it. You are perfect because God made you perfect. Any temptations come from the devil, and that's why you need to avoid them. But it's certainly not your fault. You know what I mean? It just feels like yeah. like a way to explain away bad behavior. Yeah, every modern religion needs an antagonist. Right. So now, in a historical context, the Faust legends make sense. An evil warlock makes deals with Satan at a crossroads in exchange for favors. So, essentially, it's just a bunch of ancient concepts tied together and given a name. Faust legends. That's the history of the Faust legend. But it's been told and retold so many times that it feels like a trope, right? Like there's crossroads in every book and bargains with evil people in every like every movie. It's well, I mean, it's such a great plot device, because like if you want a hero to overcome an obstacle, what better way to get a power or get something through a supernatural being? Right. There are actually modern legends in the real world not necessarily from books or movies or plays i can think of one for sure and i'm sure this is the one you can think of robert robert johnson Johnson. yep robert johnson was a blues singer from mississippi he was born in 1911 and he picked up guitar sometime in the 1920s so he was pretty young in his teens He was known as, like, a fairly mediocre guitar player. He was a traveling musician. Like, he wasn't particularly good. Mm -hmm. But in 1930, his wife and child both died in childbirth. And he just, like, dropped out of the public eye. But he shows back up six years later in 1936 as an insanely good guitar player. And he recorded 29 blues songs, including... The Crossroad Blues and Hellhound on My Trail. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, he he not only became like a spectacular guitar player and musician, he invented methods of playing music. Right. Like at the time, most people were just using the guitar as like a backup to their voice. But he used it like he played the, the rhythm. He played the bass lines. He sang like it was just a new method. It was it was amazing. And it's influenced music as we know it today. Pretty much everything you hear other than like, you know, 
I guess you could even argue things like techno, dubstep, yes, EDM. Just certain concepts. It, it all comes from the drum and bass and then guitar. Mm-hmm. So what's weird is he died at age 27, two years later, mm-hmm. in 1938. He got sick after playing at a party, died four days later. The legend is that after his wife and child died, he devoted himself to the guitar, right? And in his depression, he was like playing guitar at a crossroads, like just sitting there playing guitar. And the devil appeared. And he asked the devil to tune his guitar, which sealed a pact for his soul in exchange for money and women and fame, which he got. And that is when he popped back up in Texas, a remarkably better guitar player than when he was last seen. And he shot into fame. He wasn't necessarily famous during his lifetime, but he became massively famous soon after his death. And his untimely death is said to be the devil coming back to claim his soul. And he went from nobody to a master of the blues. And I mean, if you go back into his works, like I said, he wrote something called Crossroad Blues and Hellhound on My Trail, which are two obvious Faustian tropes. Right. If you don't know, hellhounds in some legends are beasts sent to collect those who have sold their souls and drag them back to hell. So like maybe the demon's too good for you and like just sends one of his dogs to come get you in case you didn't know what that was. Hellhounds can also guard the gates to the underworld too. Right. So it's kind of one and the same. Right. Robert Johnson's family has come out and said like, Hey, like, that's not true. Right. Yeah, I, I know there is definitely a lot of, like, uh, I guess, like, pushback on this. But, like, it is so famous, this, it's, this yes, story. Because he just inexplicably returned and was amazing. The, the thing is, though, 1930 to 1936, that's plenty of time to learn guitar. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. If he had nothing else to focus on and that was his life, six years is a lot of time. Right. But I mean, Faust legends and the blues are like tied together. And Mm -hmm. I wonder if it's because of Robert Johnson or there's some cultural connection. I mean, I know that Faust legends and crossroads and deals at crossroads are things that are in like hoodoo and voodoo, which were brought over by enslaved black people. Right. When you could just cultural argue, the blues are essentially that's well yeah was, that's what I was going to say you could go as simple as saying blues music comes from you know a very sad mentality like I mean not overall but like it's just kind it's of like blues yeah it's supposed to be emotional right so that would make sense that it's associated with a Faust legend because who is going to make a deal with the devil other than someone who's so desperate or do you think that like the cultural myths and tales that were brought over by enslaved Africans were carried over to the people who founded the blues. Probably more so that. But it could be a little <laughs> bit could be a little bit of both. Anyways, that's Faust. That's a Faust legend. I love it. But are you interested in learning how to sell your soul? First off, if you were in a bargain for your entire eternity, what would you what like what's worth it? I don't think there's anything worth it. There's nothing I want really that I would ever sell my theoretical soul for. Right. Exactly. Now, before you decide to to bargain away your soul to the devil, the general timeline before you get dragged to hell is like 10 years, which is not that long. No. Anyways, demons are also known to try to trick you as much as possible. So you have to be incredibly specific with your request. You got to make sure the demon's not going to find any loopholes. You could be wishing for fame. Like, I want to be famous. But you could be famous for, like, dying in a really stupid way. Yeah. Or, <laughs> like, or like, if you're promised 10 years before your soul is collected and you want fame, maybe you accidentally kill a guy and then you go to prison for yes. 10 years. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So make sure that your request is worded extremely specifically. Like, don't summon the demon till you got it written down and you proofread it and you, like, get a lawyer to read it first. Get it notarized. It's probably nice. It's probably a good idea to have a lawyer present when you are making a legal bargain with Satan. Attorneys are 
demons anymore. Actually, actually, what if you were sitting in a crossroad and it, like a demon as you know it didn't appear? It was just like your regular attorney. Yeah. He just like drove up in his car and he was like, you called. Yeah. Salesman. <sighs> Anyways, I read in a few places the way to summon a crossroad demon. You have to bury a box containing graveyard dirt, bone from a black cat, and a drop of your own blood at a crossroads at the new moon. And speaking of supernatural, too, I think that exact same thing was used to call upon a crossroads demon. Right. I, I mean, from what I like, if you Google, how do I call a crossroads demon? Everything is from supernatural, supernatural. Like, it's possible that this well, they, is, they, supernatural took real. They things, did. But yes. Like, but I mean, this particular grouping of items might actually have just originated with supernatural and people took well, on. May, to it. Maybe. Right? I think it's more likely the other way around. But yes. The other method is you could play guitar at a crossroads until the Satan shows up, a la Robert Johnson. Mm-hmm. So, but, you know, you got to learn guitar for that. So that might take longer than you want. Sometimes you just got to be at a crossroads and, like, say the demon's name. But if you got to you know, know the name. Yeah. Right. That's the problem. You, you got to find somebody who you know has done it and get the name of that demon. You got to know someone. Or can you just use a really famous demon's name? Well, what if that's not, like, the real name of the demon? Like, what if they have a real name that you have to say, but everybody knows him as Abaddon? Right. I don't know. Um, and other people say you just gotta, like, stand there and do some chants and, like, ask for help or whatever. So it's really up to you. I feel like if you are willing... If you're desperate enough to call upon one, they're gonna come it's to just you. Gonna, he's just gonna show up. The thing is, I personally, I don't have much of a belief in demons, but after reading... The answers from the magician, they claim to have summoned demons. Right. So are demons real? I don't know. And if so, like, why do they hate us so much? Like, what's the deal? And why are they so tricky? I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, that's a Faust Legends. I just, I like that story. It's not as spooky as my usual spooky but, tales. But it's, but it's a classic. And if anyone is not somehow, somehow not aware of the Faust legend or just interpretations of it i think this is a good informational episode yeah it was more of a history lesson about demons and also my ponderings on whether or not demons are real and stuff we'll see (laughs) once gonna show up die you will find out (laughs) so we have a story a listener sent us a story um his name is johnny Sent us a message on Instagram, I believe, right, Colin? Yes. We, he sent us two stories. So we're going to read one today yeah, and we'll say one we'll, for next week. Yes, one today and then we'll... And they're both really good. Like, I, I had a great time reading these stories, so... So um, he just prefaced it by saying this is, at least in his experience, 100% real. And he just kind of gives some background here, too, first. So he says, I'm 42 years old and was born and raised in central Scotland. I was raised in a non-religious home, although my parents were strict when it came to discipline and respect. Uh, They never pushed their beliefs or non-beliefs onto myself or my two older siblings. This encouraged me to find my own truths and journey whilst growing up. So I would research all sorts of topics relating to religion and the paranormal because I needed answers. I'd read everything from ghosts, poltergeists, psychic abilities, to faith healing, cryptids, and many other paranormal or supernatural things. Ultimately, in my arrival at atheism and a strict non-believer and on occasion debunker. Now, what my thoughts and theories are on paranormal, spooky, and unexplained things are would be an entirely long and massive discussion. But this is the story. Back in the early 2000s, I was working as a police officer in Scotland back when it was the Central Scotland Police prior to the unification of all Scottish police forces to form what is now Police Scotland. So one night shift at around 4 a.m., my colleague and I received a radio call from our control room to attend a silent 999. A silent 999 is fairly common and is basically when someone dials 999 but doesn't respond or give any information as to the nature of the call, the majority of these calls are young children whom are taught to dial 999 in emergencies and decide it would be fun to give it a try. So 999, Scottish version of 911. Exactly, yes. So oftentimes we'd show up at a house and an embarrassed parent would answer the door. In this case, 
the silent 999 came from a local inn. This was a pub with half a dozen rooms upstairs. We attended the location, and as it was 4 a.m., the place was in darkness and was quiet. We did an external check of the building, and I radioed our control to contact the key holder of the building. As luck would have it, the owner lived in the bungalow right next to the inn, and she shortly thereafter joined us at the premises. As she was unlocking the door, she explained that there is no residence as it's off-season, and there is no one in the building. We conducted a thorough search of the building and all of the rooms and found nothing. I contacted our control again and asked for them to elaborate on the silent 999. Our controller explained that she could hear someone breathing on the other end of the call, but not speaking or making any noise. She said the call was terminated by the caller and was very crackly. However, she was unable to say if it was male or female. I asked her to fetch the originating phone number, which she read out over the radio. I repeated this telephone number to the owner of the inn. She guided us to the only external line in the place, which was behind the bar. Only the numbers didn't match. I noticed the owner lost all color in her face and asked me once again to repeat this number. She then said, follow me, and she escorted both me and my colleague down into the cellar. It was a large cold storeroom where all of the beer kegs and other chilled bottles were stored. She took us across the opposite side of the room where an old bureau was sat. An old, oak, dusty desk. She opened the bottom drawer and produced one of those old rotary-style phones. It was yellowed with age. She indicated to an old phone line on the wall and stated that back in the late 80s, this phone was connected down here. It used to sit on the desk, and the phone number was written on the middle of the rotary mechanism and had a clear plastic cover over it. It was the number from which the silent 999 call had come from. <gasps> but that phone's been dead for 30 years! <laughs> that is very weird. That's awesome. That's like a horror movie trope. Like an unplugged phone ringing and you hear crackly breathing on the other well, end. When it came from a completely empty and locked building to not plugged in, phone was put away. Yeah, exactly. Do you think it was a ghost trying to contact us from the... the Netherworlds. You tell me. Do you think that like an emergency had happened in the 80s in that house, apartment, hotel, place of residence? Or some creeper got access to the phone and was just like. (sighs) (sighs) But where would he have plugged it in? Because I think that Johnny stated that the phone line wasn't active. Right. It was a ghost. It was totally a ghost. <laughs> that is weird. That's like, awesome. I mean, horrifying. I would not enjoy being a police officer after that. But um, and, and I'm sure Johnny would appreciate this because he said he is like kind of, you know, a debunker when it comes to these kinds of things. I can't think of anything that is a logical explanation for it. If that were all, you know, if the, if there was no access to this phone because it's a locked building, how do you explain it? Well, not only that, it was put a, unplugged. 30 years old and put away in a drawer. I mean, (laughs) like, how does that phone make a connected call to 999? That's the weird part. You know what else is spooky? What? That they chose the number 999 because that would be such an easy number to misdial because it's all the same digit. I think that, and this might be a total lie, I don't know, but I always heard that the reason 911 was chosen here was because the buttons were so far away from each other. Right. It'd be harder to... To accidentally dial it. But I mean, like now with a smartphone, that really doesn't matter. I butt dial people all the time. So I guess you could pick any arbitrary number. What's the number from the IT crowd? I, I mean, one, nine, it's like 30 like digits Six. long. Um, yeah, uh, that's all we had for today. And we are going to read Johnny's other tale next week on next week's episode, which mm-hmm. I will be hosting. Yes, I hope you enjoyed this kind of boring history lesson about faust no i loved it okay good and uh if you have your own story you would like to send to us and read on the podcast or if you have written a story or if you want to send us any stories you come across in the news or anything like that send it over you can send it to either instagram twitter or facebook or at nerdsloth hq or you can email us at podcast at nerdsloth.com Anyway, thank you, Johnny, for those stories. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Across the pond. 
going to have our new podcast soon. Just wanted to plug it again. We're going to have a Norse mythology podcast, so stay tuned. That's coming soon. All right. Well, have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. Okay. We love you. Bye. Bye. Presented by NerdSloth, a place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com.